Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Uh, My name is Ben Stapley. I'm the executive pastor, and I'm excited to be sharing a message to you today on Father's Day, which, guess, it's about fatherhood. We're going to be looking at how God is our father and seeing insights in towards him. So I'm very excited to be doing that this morning. It's interesting because um, when it comes to church services, you kind of have your three highest attended services typically. It's your Christmas, right? It's your Easter, right? Then it's your Mother's Day. Those are the three highest attended services. Now, if you flip that script, your three lowest attended services, your Memorial Day, your Labor Day, and typically it's your Father's Day, but I'm glad to see you guys are bucking that trend and that you are here with us today. We're going to have an exciting message, exciting service, and then best of all, we're going to have burgers and hot dogs after the service. So we're excited for that as well after the service. So again, uh, Mother's Day is usually high, Father's Day is usually low, um, because there's like a wide range of feelings when it comes to fathers, right? Wide range of feelings. One of the things I can say with confidence this early on is that I had I had and I have a good relationship with my dad. I have a good relationship with my dad. It's not perfect. Uh, No relationship with any father is perfect, but it's a good relationship. One of the things I look back on with fondness when I was a child, it's a lot of things, but one thing that kind of stands out to me this Father's Day was my dad's reflex. It seems like an odd thing to highlight, but my dad's reflex. And it seems like a lot of dads have this unique skill that if I... If I'd ever go and approach my dad, he seemed to have ninja-like response times, right? If I go to, like, tickle his armpit, I don't know if he had spider sense or, like, the force was strong. He could sense it, and he would, he would not let me tickle him. To this day, I don't know if he's ticklish because I never actually made it into the pit to tickle. So he, re- quick, quick responses. We're Canadians, and so, you know, as good Canadians, we'd play a lot of ball hockey on the road, and my dad would play goal. Whenever he played goal, I could not get the ball by him. doesn't matter. He had cat-like responses, and plus, I had terrible aim. So anyways, my dad was great at responding. He had a lot of quick movements, and I think it seems to kind of uh, maybe come with a territory. I don't know if that's kind of bred into dads or something that we learn through the process, but I do want to highlight not just my dad, but other dads that have quick responses and fast reflexes. Let's take a look.
can we give it up for those dads with quick like responses? Quick like responses. Also, very interesting to note that the dads save the day, but oftentimes it's because it's a problem they caused in the first time by being reckless with their kids, right? Dad solves the problem, but he also created the problem in the first place. Let's be honest. Let's be honest there. And then also, I love how the, the video ends. It ends with a universal sign from, like, what were you thinking? Doesn't matter if you're a father or a mother, man or woman, what language you speak. This is the universal sign of what were you thinking? You're going to jump off my back and catapult yourself to the floor? What were you thinking? Uh, so that's, so fathers, right? We, we, we love our fathers. Um, hopefully they saved us in the nick of time. Um, through their cat-like reflexes sometime in the past. But uh, let's be honest. Let's be honest. That may not be the case. Uh, there's probably a lot of emotion in this room right now, right? Because some of us, some of us are able to laugh and have a good time. Some of us had a, uh, a good or maybe even just a neutral relationship with our Father. And so we're excited for this message. We're excited for the service. We're excited for the whole day. But some of us, that's not the case. It was neutral or, let's be honest, it was negative. We have a difficult relationship with our dad. And this service right now is getting a little awkward and comfortable because you're having to reflect on your father and the limitations that they had in your life. And there's a lot of different reasons why we could have had a negative relationship with our father, but there's usually kind of top six reasons why. First of all, your, your dad may have been distant with you, that your dad wasn't in the home, wasn't in the city, wasn't in the state. You never saw your dad. Your dad was just not involved in your life. They were distant. Maybe your dad was involved to a degree and for a season, but then your parents got divorced and dad decided to leave your mother and to to leave you as well. And there was a a ripping of the relationship there. Maybe your dad was distant. Uh, Maybe your dad was divorced. Maybe your dad was dysfunctional, right? Maybe they relied too heavily on a substance to dull their pain and they were not there for you in the sense that you needed them for. Maybe they were disinterested. Right? Okay, so it's like they're there, they're present, they're in the home, um, but they're just not interested in me. Interested in the work, interested in the hobbies, interested in the friends, the ball game, but they're not seemingly interested in me. Maybe it was disease, right? Maybe mental illness, Alzheimer's, dementia, something took them away from you. They were, they were present and, and they, they wanted to be interested in me, but some type of disease compromised that and compromise my relationship with my dad. Maybe it was death. Maybe something came in, took them out early. And there was an untimely death, and you were anticipating a whole lifetime with them, but that got cut short. There's a lot of reasons why we can have a difficult relationship with our dad. Again, a lot of emotions in the room. But I want to push towards the fact that even if we have a limited relationship with our earthly father, which the majority of us probably do, we can fill in those gaps with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what I'm pushing towards. That's what encourages me in my relationship with my dad. That's what encourages me as I have a relationship with my daughters. That I already know they're probably going to go into therapy for something that I do during my lifetime. And with my best efforts to be a godly father, I am going to fall short. But I know their Heavenly Father won't fall short. So that's my encouragement for myself. Hopefully that's the encouragement for yourself today and the rest of your Father's Days beyond this. So we know that fatherhood is present. uh, And the lack of fathers is also present. Uh, I think it's actually one in three children nowadays don't grow up with their biological father in the house. One in three kids don't grow up. And there's a host of 
consequences that kind of cascade because of that. And these are all statistics. None of us are statistic, but these are some shocking statistics when a child doesn't have their father in the household. Five times more likely these children to commit suicide. Ten times more likely to have a substance abuse problem. Twenty times more likely to have a behavioral dysfunction. And 30 times more likely to run away from home at some point. That's what happens. These are the consequences when we lack fathers in our home. So how do we respond? This isn't just a, a message in which we talk about all the problems. No, we're here to talk about solutions. How do we respond? Well, how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond? It's interesting. If you, if you look at the Old Testament, a lot of books in the Old Testament, the majority of the Bible, about two-thirds, is in the Old Testament. In that big chunk of the Bible, God is only referenced as the Father 13 times. Only 13 times. Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus changes everything. Jesus says, I need to change your perspective of who God is. I need to reorient you to who he is in your relationship to them. So Jesus says in relationship to us 30 different times that he is our Father. He talks about how God is our Father 30 different times in the Gospels, four short books. And then he himself, he calls God his Father 150 times. Jesus says it is important that we need to change our view of God as a Father because that role, in the, in that role of his in our life is too important for us to neglect. It was then and it is now. This problem that we have is not a 21st century problem. It was a 1st century problem as well. It's just a human condition problem. Jesus is trying to change the script, change our perspective. We see it another way in the Lord's Prayer. A quick, quick aside, quick aside. It's actually not the Lord's Prayer. We call, call it the Lord's Prayer. The Lord. Jesus didn't say, hey, man, I got an awesome prayer for you. I've been working on something. and This, like, I'm, this is my prayer. I can't wait to show it off to you. No, actually, it was the disciples who came to him. The disciples said, hey, we, we stink at praying. We don't know what to say. You do it much better than us. Can you teach us how to pray? So it's actually not the Lord's Prayer, it's more the Disciples Prayer. But regardless, how does the Lord's slash Disciples Prayer start? Does it start with uh, our Creator who art in heaven, our Redeemer who art in heaven, our Savior who art in heaven? No, I see a bunch of you nodding your heads. No, no, that's not how it begins. If you know how it begins, join in with me. It begins with our who art in heaven. Jesus says, if you're going to address God in this one way that you're going to address him. And one title that you're going to give him, and one relational attribute you're going to give him, it's not creator, it's not redeemer, it's not savior, it's father. If there's one thing that you need to talk to him as, and you start this conversation, start with it as father. Realize that is his major role in your life. Call him father. Jesus is trying to change the script, and that's what we're trying to do today as well. Normally in our services, we'll, we'll look at passages, right? We'll pull up God's word, look at that, explore truth back then, kind of what it meant to that ancient context, and then what does it mean to us today, and then how do we respond to it? Normally, our starting point for most messages is passages. Today, we're going to change that up. Today, we're going to change that. We're not going to start with passages. We're going to start with photos. It's Father's Day. My dad, I got two girls. It's a proud dad moment for me. I'm going to be showcasing photos of my daughters and lessons that I learned and then how they point us towards God. So that's the journey that we're on this morning. And now I'll, I'll call this out as well. I, I only have 10 years of experience, just a decade of being a father. I know some of you in the room have double or quadruple that experience, and you've learned a lot more 
about who the Father is. I would love to talk with you after the service and learn from you. But until then, God has taught me a couple things about who he is as a father, and I can't wait to showcase them with you this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is a story of my daughters when I would throw them up into the air. I would love throwing my daughters up into the air. You probably see a photo of my youngest right here, Scarlett, and I'm tossing her as high as I could get her. It's actually better when they're little because I could get them, you know, I think that's maybe five feet up. I could get them when they're little, six, seven, eight, and get them really high into the sky. I could see all the mothers right now kind of squirming in the room saying, that's too high. How dare you do that? Actually, my, my wife herself, the, the higher I got my daughters and the louder they squealed with enjoyment, she would have to avert her eyes. Even. She had to actually go inside. She had to say, I can't be out here for this nonsense. Um, you know, I would love to throw them up into the sky. And the reason I would love to throw them is just they had so much joy, so much glee, that they would enjoy it so much, me lofting them as high to the heavens as I could. And so I enjoyed it because they enjoyed it. And part of their enjoyment it's not only being thrown up, but what comes up must come down. It wasn't being thrown up, it was also being caught. They had complete confidence that I'd do this again and again and again, that each time, this is really important, they would be caught. If they're not caught, their enjoyment goes down pretty quickly. It goes down pretty quickly. And so they had enjoyment because they knew when dad throws me up, he's going to catch me. When dad throws me up, he's going to catch me. That's the same truth of our Heavenly Father. That whatever God's calling us to push towards, to step towards, to step outside of our comfort zone and take some type of risk, some type of movement he's calling us towards, that you could be confident he's going to catch you. Maybe he's asking you to, to mend a relationship. Maybe it's with your dad. You can be confident that if you go forward, that even if it falls apart, even if it fails, he will catch you. Maybe it's a career development, right? Like I'm kind of, kind of plateaued. I want to take a next step, but I don't, don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I can do it. God wants you to push towards that, and even knowing that if you fail in that, he wants to catch you. God wants to catch you. It says it this way in Psalms, Psalms 145. The Lord upholds all who fall. The Lord upholds all who fall. God will either, as he, as he pushes you towards a new venture, and, and throws you up into the air, he's either going to do two things. He's either, either going to give you wings to fly and to be successful, or if you do fail, he will catch you. He will catch you. There's another great story, another great example of another father that was there ready to catch his daughter. It was a story of uh, Elise Fernandez. She was actually a contestant in the game show, um, uh, cooking game show. I think it was actually Master Chef. That's what it was. It was taking place in Brazil. This is the 2015 edition. And she was auditioning for this, but she was struggling in the midst of the audition. Actually, what happened, we play the video. She was struggling to get a classic, right? To get the jar open. You can't cook much if you can't get the jar open. So she's struggling with this. And what does she do? Right? She's, she's, she's wrestling with it. Mom and dad are concerned. She's using a knife. She ultimately you know, cuts away. You always cut away with a knife, right? She's been taught well, but she still can't do it. What does she end up doing? She's stuck. How does she handle this situation? <laughs> you guys see how she handles the situation, right? Goes to dad. Who says, yeah, you know, baby girl, I told you, you're going to be a great chef. I want you to go into this competition. I want you to go on public television for the potential of embarrassing yourself because you can't do the most rudimentary thing of cooking and getting the jar open. But don't worry. Don't worry, if you fail, I will catch you. If you fall, 
I'll catch you. I'm sure this gal had tons of talent because not only she was able to get the jar open, uh, and she was able to win that competition that day. She actually won that competition that year, and she was probably a phenomenal chef, right? Let's give it up for her. Probably a phenomenal chef. But let's not forget what we just saw there. She knew she could go into that competition with supreme confidence because she had a dad who would catch her. She had a dad that would not let her down. To the same degree, the things God is calling us towards, he's calling you towards, to push yourself out of that comfort zone, to try something new, to do a holy movement. And you're like, I don't know if I can do it. And God says, I don't know if you can by yourself either. But you know what? Even if you fail, I will catch you. I will catch you. That is our God. It's interesting. God not only catches us when we fall, he also wants to celebrate us when we don't fall. God wants to celebrate us. Anyone here um, have a pool at their home? Open up their pool. Anyone enjoy pool season whatsoever? Okay, a couple people enjoy the water. The rest of you don't. I understand that. I understand that. But hey, my wife and I love going to the pool. We don't have one ourselves, so we always, like, we're the neighbors. We're like, hey, I see you took the tarp off. Can we, can we come in? I just have my towel on my hand. I don't know why. We're those type of neighbors. Or we actually, we, have, we got a membership in a local community pool, so we're, we don't have to be those neighbors anymore. And we love going to the pool. Uh, we love going to the pool, and our daughters love going to the pool. You see a photo of my, my, my oldest right back behind me, Violet. She loves going to the pool, and she loves jumping off the diving board. She loves jumping. Uh, she loves going down the slide. But those things kind of pale in comparison to the things she enjoys the most. The thing she enjoys the most isn't jumping off the diving board. It isn't sliding down the slide. The thing she enjoys the most is saying a phrase. And if you're a parent who's been to a pool, you know what the phrase is. Watch me. (laughs) Watch me, mom. Watch me, dad. Watch me, watch me, watch me. It doesn't matter how many times they jump. Each one, they want your full attention like they did the last one. It could be the first one. It could be the 101st one. They are saying, watch me, watch me, watch me. They have hardwired into themselves the need, the desire to be affirmed, to be celebrated. And I don't mind watching them. I actually enjoy it. You know, like my oldest daughter, daddy, watch me, watch me, watch me. She's great, I'll watch her. My youngest, daddy, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch her. Some stranger, daddy, watch me, watch me, watch me. There, (laughs) I'm not even your dad. Why are you asking me to watch you, right? It's happened multiple times. And one of the the boys who said that, he said, well, we still watch me. (laughs) You watching me, we kind of laughing, right? You watching me, not even my parent, is better than nobody watching me. We have that so hardwired into ourselves. I would rather have some rando, some dude, I don't know, watch me jump into the pool than nobody because I need somebody to celebrate me. I need somebody to affirm me. That is what we need in our and our parents, and sometimes, again, there's a gap, and they fall short. The good thing is our Heavenly Father wants to fill that gap for us. He wants to celebrate us. It says this in Matthew 3, verse 17. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. If you're not familiar with the context here, let me break it down for you. This is a similar scene. It involves water, just like a pool. And it's one in which Jesus is getting baptized. It's the beginning of his earthly ministry. He'd been a carpenter for 30 years. And sometimes people you know, thought Jesus was just doing Jesus stuff all the time. For the first 30 years, we don't know much about him. From, from what we can surmise, he was a regular carpenter. and didn't do a lot of his teachings or a lot of his healings from what we're aware of. And then things change. He gets baptized 
and God kicks his public ministry into high gear. And then he goes out there and everyone's aware of what's happening. So, so this is before the teachings. This is before the healings. This is before the death, burial, and resurrection. This is before all the good stuff that we're aware of in the Gospels. So it's fascinating here, right? The Father is praising him before he performs. The Father is giving accolades before achievement. Normally we reverse that, right? Give me your report card. Let me see the A's or maybe the B's, and then I'll, I'll dispense some of my praise and celebration of you. You know, our, our parents may have done that, or we maybe do that as parents. Show me you've earned the celebration. Show me you've earned my love, and then I'll give it to you. <laughs> father says, no, no, that's not the way I roll. As your heavenly father, I don't do that. I praise you for who you are and not for what you can do for me. Because he says to my son, you are my beloved son. There's a relationship here. That nothing will take it away. You're my son. Regardless of what you do, you're still my son. That's what he says to us. You are my crown jewel of creation. When you talk about the created order, it's interesting, right? God, God made the cosmos, and he made the stars, and he made, he made the earth, and he made the water. And it, it goes through this whole progression. And then and God says everything that's good. It's good, it's good. And then God comes to humanity, the crown jewel of his creation. That's the first time and the only time he says, oof, that's very good. That's very good. You are very good. You're my sons and my daughters. I've adopted you into my family. This has nothing to do with what you do. This has everything to do with who you are to me. You are my sons and my daughters. Before any accomplishments you bring to my table, I'm lavishing accolades towards you. I'm giving you lavishly my celebration. It says it this way as well. Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God is always with you. He celebrates and sings because of you. God sings because of you. Did you get where, were you aware that God sings? I was not aware that God sings to stumbling upon this verse. I know God does a lot of things. wasn't aware he sings. He sings because of us. I sing as well. I don't sing in tune, so that's why you never see me on the stage. I keep asking Russ to incorporate me into the team. He's yet to do that. There's a good reason for it. But I sing, even though it's not in tune. I sing when I'm happy. I'm not even aware of this. My wife tells me about it, and she can tell if I'm in a good mood. So how do you know if I'm in a good mood? And she says, because you're singing. It's not even something like voluntarily I do or I think of doing. I just kind of start singing some random things when I'm happy. To the same degree, God brings... You bring such joy to God that he can't help but singing over you. He wants to sing over you. He wants to celebrate you. That is who our Heavenly Father is. If you did not receive celebration from your earthly father, allow your Heavenly Father to step in that gap. Allow him to celebrate you. God wants to celebrate us. Um, He also wants to pursue us. God also wants to pursue us. I don't entirely know why, but one of my daughter's favorite games is playing hide-and-go-seek. They love playing hide-and-go-seek. And And, uh, you see a photo of them back here, and I think that's Violet, and that's... You know what? My wife is going to have to tell me because they look alike at this face, but these are my two daughters. I think that's Scarlett. Don't hold me to the record. We'll edit this video if we need to. These are my two daughters, and they love playing hide-and-go-seek. They would do this all the time. And they... The kind of the riskier the location, the more intrigued they were by it. So in our home, eh, kind of boring, right? We've done it all the time. Um, oh, but if we go to a neighbor's home or a friend's home, ooh, that gets a little more exciting. 
Or maybe we go and do this in a public place. Maybe it's like in a grocery store. Ooh, you know, even a little more exciting here. I didn't see in the grocery store. Let's see how that goes. Can I fit into the freezer? I don't know. Let's find out. It gets even more exciting. Um, it's, I, I, I pretty much let them do um, this anywhere, uh, as long as it's safe. The one time I had to draw the line is when we were in a funeral home, and they said, can we play hide and seek? I was like, no, we cannot play hide and seek. Daddy has some boundaries here. And, uh, and we're going to draw the line. I, found, I know where the line is. I found it. It's right here. We're not going to play hide-and-go-seek here. And so they love playing hide-and-go-seek. And, and they're one of the favorite places is doing it in the school. Because they'll go, uh, when we go to the schools, they will open up the lockers, find one that's empty, and then kind of cram themselves in there and shut the door and then wait for me to find them. And I've actually had to put parameters on this game. Like the first time we played it, it's like, just go into the school. It took me like 30 minutes to find them because <laughs> they went way too far. So I was like, okay, you can, you can hide in this hallway and no other hallways can you, can you hide in. And so they, they love the game. They love it for the sense of suspense. Am I going to be found? And they also love it for the confidence that they will be found. They will be found because they know that I am ultimately going to pursue them. I'm not going to leave them in the lockers. It may take me a while, but I will pursue them, and I will find them. To the same degree, God, our Father, wants to pursue us. He wants to pursue us. There's a great story in Luke 15 where we see this play itself out. Jesus is telling the story about a, a, a shepherd, and the shepherd has lost one of his sheep. You probably know the story. If you don't, let me give a quick recap. There's a hundred sheep, and the shepherd has lost just one just one. So how does, how does the shepherd respond to the situation of losing one of their sheep? The shepherd say, you know what, that one, that one actually smelled like really bad, so I'm okay if it's gone. I'm, I'm okay with that. We can, we can lose one. I still get 99. That's fine. No, shepherd doesn't say that. Does the shepherd say, you know what, that, I was talking to that sheep again and again and again, and it never listened to me, so it kind of got what it deserved. It's, this is on the sheep at this point. It's not on me. It's on the sheep. It got what it's deserved. No, shepherd doesn't say that. This shepherd say, uh, you know what, this, this, this sheep, the sheep was the worst in the herd. It's disobedient, <laughs> disgruntled, an ugly little runt. It's, it was the worst in the herd. You know, uh, good riddance. Good riddance. I'm glad it's gone. No, the shepherd doesn't say any of those things. How does the shepherd respond? We see that in Luke chapter 15, verse 4. It says, he, the shepherd, leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. Until he finds it. He's going to pursue that sheep, not just for a day and a night. He's going to pursue it until he finds it. You may feel that your sin is stinky and smelly to God. He is still going to pursue you. Maybe you haven't listened to God today, this week, this past year, your whole life. You haven't listened to him. He is still going to pursue you. Maybe you're the worst in the herd, right? No one is as bad as you. No one is as rejected as you. No one is as defective as you. No one is as sinful as you. It doesn't matter if you're the worst in the herd. He is still going to pursue you. That is the heavenly father we have. Again, our fathers may have fallen short on this and not have pursued us, but our heavenly father will always pursue us. I'd like to read a story to my daughters. Uh, it's called The Runaway Bunny. It's one of my favorite 
stories, uh, and they, they love it as well, but I also love it and get deeply impacted by it. And it does a great job of, of illustrating this point, that God is always going to pursue us. It goes like this. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you can come home to. If you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a sailboat and I will sail far from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. If you become the wind and blow, said the little bunny, I will join a circus and fly away on a flying trapeze. If you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks, said the bunny. I just might as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. That story points us towards the truth, right? It's a fictitious story about a, a mother bunny, but it usually makes me cry every time I read it because the mother's going to pursue the little bunny, regardless of what it does, regardless of what it does. As many roadblocks as it tries to put up to the mom, says, ah, I'm going to knock him down, I'm going to knock him down, I'm going to knock him down. You cannot get away from me. You cannot get away from my love. No farther can you run, well, you will be able to match me. I will be able to run and catch up to you, regardless of what you do. The Psalms says the same thing in very poetic language. The Psalm echoes this. It says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you, God, are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I can ask the darkness to hide me and light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot Hide from you. God has pursued you. God is, right now this morning, pursuing you. And God will continue to pursue you. There's nothing you can do to stop his pursuit. The only question is, are you going to pause and let him catch up to you? God pursues us. God also will forgive us. God will forgive us. My daughter, Scarlett, has a strong moral code to herself. She has a strong moral code that she applies for herself, and she also liberally applies to others as well. So, you know, we could be driving down the road, and, hey, Daddy, I see that you're going 50, but it's actually a speed zone, and uh, you're supposed to be doing 35 miles. Could you just 
you pull it back a little bit. She loves to keep her eye on the speedometer um, while I'm driving to keep us all safe. You know, in the grocery store with my, with my wife, uh, she might be picking out a bunch of grapes and tasting one just to make sure the whole bunch is good. Uh, Mommy, did you pay for that grape? Did you? you? Do we need to weigh another one when we come to the scale? How do we, how do we rectify this, Mommy? Right? This is not, this, you've broken the moral code. This is not good. I see this, I sense it. it. There's a disturbance here. So she applies it to other people. She also applies it to herself just as liberally. And so we saw this when she was young, but she would put herself in a self-imposed timeout. You see a photo of her here putting herself in a self-imposed timeout, which was, which was adorable. First of all, you'd be like walking around the house and then you just see her sitting back there in a little timeout. <laughs> Uh, but it was also it was also completely um, intriguing, right? Adorable, but intriguing. What has she done, <laughs> right? What did she break? <laughs> How did she, you know, annoy her sister? What has happened? We'll we'll, we will find out. The, the fun thing about this uh, the self-imposed timeout is we, for the record, for the record, I know you're judging me right now. For the record, you see a number of bars in front of her. And this is actually in our dining room. The stairwell was right there. So you see the handrail up. Um, and it gives the, the aesthetic of prison. Um, now, for, again, for the record, we as parents did not choose the location. Our daughters chose that location for the timeout, and they went there. Now, we never corrected it. Uh, we let it work in our favor. But they would go there and put themselves in a self-imposed timeout. Um, and whenever we did, whenever she did go into that timeout, uh, we would always come to her and say, hey, what have you done? What's wrong? Uh, and then how can we fix it and how can we forgive you? That's always how we would respond. And that's how our Heavenly Father responds to us during our timeouts when we've done wrong. He wants to come and he wants to fix it and he wants to forgive you. It says this in Isaiah forty-three twenty-five: I am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers your sin no more. Remembers your sin no more. It's fascinating. I do not understand this. How can an omniscient, an all-knowing God forget? I don't understand. But he says that. I will forgive and I will forget, right? Normally it's not the case when we talk, you know, I'll forgive, but I'm never going to forget. It's actually uh, JFK, uh, JFK said, um, forgive your enemies, but remember their names. <laughs> forgive your enemies, Remember your names. So I've, I've forgiven what you've done, but I know who you are, and I have my eyes on you, so if you come and do it again, I can see you coming. Or before you come at me, I'm going to do it towards you. I know who you are. I'm not, I'm not forgetting your name. God says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to forgive. And in fact, I want to forget as well. The reason he forgets what we've done is he knows he needs to forgive us again and again and again. So he's going to forget again and again. And he's going to give us that same grace that he gave us the first time we caved to him when we come to him the thousandth time. He said, God, I still need your forgiveness. And he said, here it is again. Here it is again. Here it is again. That's all he says to us. Here it is again when he comes towards us and we come towards him. Whenever our daughters um, have a problem or something going on in their lives and they they need help. One of the things my wife and I try to do is we try to, try to get down physically on their level and kind of see them eye to eye when they bring a hurt or a wound or something that we need to fix. And, and after getting on their eye level, we try to let them know that, hey, we're, we're here to help you fix this. Whatever's broken, whatever's wrong, whatever you've done wrong, we want to help you fix it. But let's be honest, sometimes we can't fix it. You know what? Hey, uh, you cut your bangs off, I can't glue them back. <laughs> that was your choice. I can't fix that. Uh, but I can, I can forgive you. I can forgive you for that. We try to meet them eye to eye. 
And this posture here, which we try to do in our limited ways as parents, to limited ways to do as a dad, that's the same posture that our Heavenly Father takes. That he gets down here on his knees and he wants to encounter you face to face, eye to eye. I can say that with confidence because he did it. He left heaven, he left his eternal realm, he left, he left his throne, and he says, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to come on down and he's going to get on your level and look you in the eyes so that you're able to come to him and bring your problems. And to the best ability, he's going to fix them. And even when he can't fix them, he's going to say, I still forgive them. This is the posture our Heavenly Father takes. This is the posture we should take as parents, but sometimes we fall short. Even when we fall short, he takes this posture with us, saying, come to me. Bring me your limitations. Bring me your wounds. Bring me your baggage. Bring all the stuff you need fixed to the best ability I can to fix it. And even when I can't, I will forgive. I'll forgive. That's the posture of our Father, down on a knee, waiting to heal us. But here's the, here's the deal. He can't heal until we deal. God is not going to force his healing upon us. He gives all of us free will. So we will never force healing upon you. He is waiting for you to deal with yourself. To stop all the ways that you try to fix the problem yourself. Right? No more numbing. No more running. No more hiding. No more lying. No, no, no more numbing. No, whatever the problems you face in your life, the sins and shortcomings you have, it's easy to numb those. Substances, entertainment, you name it, just to numb the problems of the world. God says, stop. Stop numbing that stuff. No more running, right? Maybe if I just try to outpace my problems, stay one step ahead of them, one step, then they'll never actually catch up to me. God says, don't you, isn't that exhausting? Don't you want to stop running from your problems? Aren't you worn out? If you deal with that, I can heal that. No more hiding. Maybe we're not numbing or maybe not running, but we're hiding. We're hiding from a relationship with our father saying, I I, I don't want to encounter you. I don't want to be, or I don't want to encounter other people that love me and will help me on this journey. We're willing to stop hiding. We're willing to stop lying. That I have it. I have it under control. Whatever the it is, you probably don't have it under control. We don't have it under control. Are we willing to deal with our issues so God can heal our issues. I said at the beginning, this might be a difficult day for you. This might be a hard day for a lot of us, right? This may be a difficult message, a difficult service, a difficult day. Maybe every Father's Day is a difficult day. And it feels like all we've been doing is kind of picking at a scab for the last 30 minutes. And you just want to let it fester and just stop picking at it. I'm here to tell you that you may have had a dysfunctional dad, a disinterested dad, uh, a distant dad. You may have had a host of problems with your dad. Your dad may have been all those things wrapped together. Do not let the limitation of your healing 
be hinged towards your earthly father. Hinge your healing towards your heavenly father. He wants to be present. He wants to be interested. He wants to pursue you, wants to celebrate, wants to pursue, wants to forgive you, wants to do all those things. But we need to first yield ourselves to that before he can do any of that. I know this to be true because it says this about God to be true. That even though we may be fatherless, he wants to be our father. Whatever that gap is that we experience with our earthly father, our heavenly father wants to fill that gap. He wants to do it today. He wants to do it right now in your life.